You ever found yourself wanting something and no matter how bad you wanted it, you at one point come to the realization that you just can't do it. That's never a good day. No matter how bad you want it, you just realize at some point that it simply isn't possible. Now for me, that's being an airplane pilot. I've always wanted to do that, but I can't. Now, you're probably thinking, if you hear me say that, you're probably thinking, well, Matt, you can do that. I mean, all you've got to do is go train and get a pilot's license, and then you can fly your way for your whole life, right? That's probably what you're thinking. But it's not possible for me to do that. I have health issues that won't ever allow me to get a pilot's license, so I can't do that, ever. You see, there's a paradox in our culture that tells us that we can do anything that we put our minds to, but that simply is not true. No matter how bad we may want some things, we simply can't do everything. This morning, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 5, and we're going to be exploring a situation where we see some people with this strong desire to do something that they can't do. And so they go to great lengths to find someone who can. There were five friends, and one of these friends was lame. He could not walk. And the other four wanted nothing more than to be able to help their lame friend walk and, but there, there was just simply no way they could do it. Well, one day they hear that Jesus is nearby. And so they go to their friend and they say, hey man, today you're going to walk. Today is the day. We are going to take you to this guy and you are going to walk today. And so They know that Jesus is able to do this. They have no doubt whatsoever in their mind that Jesus can do this. So they get their friend and they get him on a stretcher and they start carrying him. And no sooner do they arrive at this house where Jesus is and they see the crowd. They see that this house is full of people and there's no way in. Now, you have to think about what kind of a house this actually was. We're not talking about a house like Patrick Mahomes just built up in the Kansas City area. It would not have been a house that looked anything like that. It would have been something like what you see here on the screen, probably just one way in. And when you got inside, chances are there was not a great deal of room. And so they see this house is completely full. There's no way in. So they were so excited. They were so full of anticipation at what he could do for their friend. Now they can't get in. Imagine the letdown here. They're like, man, we were so close and now we can't even get in the house. So frustration builds. They try everything possible, and, I, you know, they were no doubt ready to just simply throw in the towel. Well, just as they're about ready to give up and let I can't take over, one of them has an idea. 
And he's like, hey, I got an idea. Why don't we go up on the roof and we'll bust this guy's roof apart and we'll let him down through the roof. That's how we'll get him in there. Now, if the other guys are anything like me, the reaction's going to be, that is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. You seriously want to do this? You think that we're going to carry a grown man and his bed on the roof, and then we're going to break through it. Why don't we come down to earth now and start talking about some real ideas? That's what I'd be thinking. But they do this. Don't know how they got him up there, have no idea what they did to get him there, but they take this guy up there. Well, now they're on the roof. And so they've got to start breaking through the roof. And just picture that for a moment. These guys start removing stuff. And if you look at the houses, I'm a little surprised the roof was strong enough to hold five guys in a, or in a bed. But it was. So they start breaking this thing open. And now imagine what's going on inside. You've got debris falling in the house, perhaps right on the head of Jesus. And think for a moment about the poor homeowner. The homeowner's in the house, and he's watching this go down, and he looks up, and he sees debris coming out of his roof, and he's thinking, on the day that Jesus is in my house, the roof decides to fail. And he's thinking, man, last month I just switched to Geico so I could save 15% on my insurance, and I had Taylor Morgan's insurance, and I know that would have covered the roof. I don't know if Geico will. Imagine the thoughts here. <laughs> well, they do this, and they finally get a hole broken big enough to let this guy and his bed down through, and that's what they do. Well, now let's go in the house, and let's see what's going on in there. We already know there's a crowd, but who is it? Take a look at our text in, in verse 17 through 19, because this, this sets the, the stage for who's in here. As he was teaching, we see that there are Pharisees and teachers of the law. That's his audience. That's who is in the house. And of course, they are listening with an unhealthy amount of skepticism, which they always did. And so when this guy starts lowering down from above them, Jesus looks up at this point and he sees what's going on. And the heart of this, where we really need to focus, is the next verse. Because look at what verse 20 says. Jesus looks up at those guys and seeing their faith... He said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. So the friends are still on the roof. They know the moment has arrived that their friend is going to walk. And Jesus looks at these four guys and sees their faith. He can visibly see that they not only believe in him, but they have taken action on behalf of their friend. But now Jesus does the most ironic thing. As he's looking up at these friends, he looks at the lame man and says, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Now, 
Imagine the thoughts here of the friends for just a moment. They're probably like, what? I mean, this is, that's great, but we want him to walk. That's what we brought him here for. We'd, we'd like him to be able to walk. And it's here that we start to learn the heart of this text. Because now the Jewish leaders are thinking to themselves, only God can forgive sin. And Jesus says, bingo. Now, forgiven sin is not something visible. I can look at, at Josh and I can say, Josh, you're forgiven. I'll forgive you this time. <laughs> and I can look over here at Trey and I can say, Trey, you're, you're forgiven. Todd, not you. Not, not you so much. I can say all of that, and it's my word really against my own word, right? So Jesus says your sins are forgiven you, but they don't mean a whole lot to the Pharisees and teachers of the law until he proves it. And so that's why he says what he says here in verse 23 and 24. He makes this statement. He says, which is easier, your sins have been forgiven or to say get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, pick up your bed and your, pick up your stretcher and go home. Get up, pick up your stretcher and go home. The purpose here is to prove who Jesus is and to prove what he can do. And from this, we learn something that we cannot do, and that is forgive sins. Now, our series is called Be Jesus, and it's about being Jesus in our lives. So we have to ask the question here, how can we be Jesus when we encounter things in the text like this and things where we learn of something that only Jesus can do. When we see these things, we have to get to the bottom of why he did it. Because he did it so that we could respond to him as his disciple in a certain way. And that's exactly what we see here. So we can't forgive sin. We can't heal. And that's what the text is about. So we ask the question, what can we do based on what we learn about Jesus here? How can we be a healer like Jesus? Let's use that language as we, as we go through this. We're going to quickly look at three things. I can be a healer. Number one, I can be a healer like Jesus by prioritizing the spiritual over the physical. That's what Jesus did. Jesus prioritized the spiritual health and the spiritual relationship of this individual, this lame man, first. These friends went through a lot to, to take this man to Jesus. And what is it that they wanted? We know they were after a physical healing for their friend. They wanted him to walk. But Jesus is more concerned with something else first. The lame man's relationship with God. That's where he begins. He sees the faith of the lame man's friends. He even refers to the lame man as friend. He calls him friend in the text, and I don't think that's accidental. 
He cared more about his relationship with God above anything else before he concerned himself with anything else that had to do with his physical handicap. So we can be a healer like Jesus by prioritizing the spiritual health of our friends. Now, we want a lot of things for our friends and for our family. And if you listen to the way we pray, I think this really comes out. But think about what we want for our kids. We want our kids to do well in school. I don't know about you. If you have kids, mine are 12 and 15, I want my kids to do well in school. That's a desire that I have for them. I want them to be good athletes, especially if that's their aspiration. And I hope they get good jobs when they end up out in the world. I hope they have a great marriage. I hope they're able to live where they want to live. And I could continue this list, as you well know. These are all really good things. They're good things to want for our family. But ultimately, what matters most? What matters most is their relationship with God. The spiritual things matter most. If we want to be a healer like Jesus, spiritual things and spiritual relationships need to be priority number one. Now, although Jesus prioritized the spiritual, it doesn't mean that he disregarded the physical. He healed this man. Now, he did it to prove his authority, but his compassion on this man is legitimate. Jesus had compassion on all the people that he encountered throughout his ministry. Compassion is a very Jesus trait. Now, Compassion is not something that's forced. It's not a thing where, well, okay, I guess I need to serve. I need to check the service box and do that because I'm a Christian, even though I really don't want to do that. That isn't compassion. Compassion is not forced. It's a need to serve that comes from deep within us. I don't know if any of you remember this, but a, a few years back, Bill did a lesson on compassion, and it's one that's really stuck with me, and he explained it really well. He explained the feeling of as we see people in need, Jesus is like, I have to help these people. I must help them. I can't not help these people. And that's what compassion is. And that's what we see out of Jesus. And so that concern for the physical is very, very legitimate. You know, I see compassion all over Sunset. In the last 10, a little over 10 years that I've been here, every time a need has arisen, I have watched this church see to it that whatever need was needed was met tenfold over. That's a very Jesus characteristic, and that's compassion. But the main lesson here, the thing that we need to see, we don't want to be concerned only with the spiritual or only with the physical. To be Jesus is to do both, but the spiritual things are always the priority. That's what we want to see. Number two, very quickly, I can be a healer like Jesus by being a forgiving person. I can't forgive sin. 
but I can forgive people who have wronged me and do my part to heal broken relationships within, or excuse me, with a willingness to forgive. In Luke 11, where Luke records what we often refer to as the Lord's Prayer, Luke records it this way. Jesus says, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And I really like Ephesians chapter 4. When it comes to forgiveness, what Paul is telling them in Ephesians chapter 4 Telling this congregation applies to this subject. He says, let, beginning in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. We don't forgive to be forgiven. We forgive because we are forgiven. Now, a vital component to our forgiven relationship with God is that we forgive others. But we can't maintain unbroken relationship with God if we have broken relationship with others we need to forgive. If we did that, it would be a lot like the parable of the unmerciful slave. Perhaps you remember that parable. That guy that Jesus talks about, he owes his master 10,000 talents. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to us today because we don't, we have the U.S. dollar, not the talent, right? Or the denarii, which is also in there. But I did a little bit of looking on this, and if we take the most conservative figures for what a talent is and consider that it was silver and not gold, and you do the math on 10,000 talents in today's dollars, it comes out to about $170 million that this guy theoretically owed his master. The point, obviously, he has an unpayable debt. That's the point. It's an infinite number that's ridiculous. And so he goes and begs, I can't pay it, and the master and begs his master for forgiveness, and he forgives him. It's a lot like our sin. Our sin debt is too big to pay. And that's the point he's making in the text. So what's the guy do? Does he go out and then be forgiving because he was forgiven? No. He goes out and finds this guy that owes him a hundred denarii. Once again, doesn't mean a whole lot to us, but same math, 280 bucks. You can't feed six people at the double nickel for $280. That's how small of an amount of money that is in today's dollars. And he goes out and tries to shake that out of somebody that owes him that little dab. Well, the master gets wind of it, and what does he say? He tells him, after I forgave you, that's how you're going to treat that guy? Well, now you're going to pay me everything. You see, we forgive because we have been forgiven. If I don't forgive, personal wounds would never heal. You ever been around anybody that, that, that can't forgive? I know I have. And they're bitter. That's not a good life. It's not a, it's not a good way to live at all. The church must be filled with people who forgive each other. James chapter 5 and verse 16 says, Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. If I'm going to do that, I have to be willing to heal the other person. 
we have to be willing to heal each other. And the healing here is the healing of forgiveness. Now, we've discussed forgiveness of others. But you know, sometimes the most difficult thing to do is accept forgiveness of our own, which leads us to the third thing. We can be a healer by trusting in the forgiveness that Jesus has given us. The heart of this text is to prove Jesus' ability to forgive. So here's the takeaway. If you're in Christ, you're forgiven. Not sort of forgiven, not, well, yes, but you're forgiven. But sometimes we struggle to trust that. Sometimes we can think, well, that just sounds too good to be true. But just like Jesus forgave this lame man, just like the text tells us that he forgave the thief on the cross, he's forgiven his children. Now, I've never questioned these accounts. When I read in the text that the text tells me Jesus forgave somebody, I believe that. I believe that he forgave this guy. I believe that he forgave this guy. Yet I will admit in the past I have struggled to trust my own forgiveness. Anybody relate to that? Ever been there before where you struggle to trust your own? Here's the deal. If we doubt our forgiveness, it would be the same thing as looking God in the eye and saying, I don't think the blood of your son was good enough to forgive my sin. I don't want to do that. You see, I absolutely have no more power to forgive my sin than I have to become an airplane pilot. But I have the power to trust in Jesus because he cared enough not only to forgive my sin, but to prove that he would and did forgive it. Because of this account in Luke, because of this example of the lame man, you can rest your head every night in your bed knowing that Jesus healed you. He forgave your sin. I can't forgive sin, but I can prioritize the spiritual health of my family and my friends, and I can help lead them to the one who can. Make spiritual things a priority, you and your family and in the life of those who you're around and in your prayer and in every area of your life. Make sure spiritual is what's first. I can't forgive sin but I can be a forgiving person because I've been forgiven by the one who can. Are you holding on to anything in your past? Are you holding on to wrongs that you just struggle to let go of? Well, the inspiration here is to make every effort to, to let that go. I can't forgive sin, but I can put all of my confidence and all my trust in Jesus' power to heal me through his forgiveness, and I can know that he not only can, but I can know that he has done that. As we conclude and offer an invitation this morning, I want to address two potential struggles that maybe you would have going on in your head. Have you ever come to Jesus initially 
and accepted his forgiveness. If you've not done that, don't leave here today without doing it. You can let him heal you right here, right now, this morning in the waters of baptism, if you want him to do that. So don't leave here without doing that if you've not done that. But I also want to address, perhaps you're, tr- you're struggling with trusting in his healing power to forgive you. Maybe you've already started a relationship, but you're struggling with that trust thing. Let this text inspire you. Let it inspire you to put your trust in Jesus and rest assured that he's forgiven you. We can help you in any way this morning. We want to do that. So won't you come as we stand and as we sing?